Hello, Peter Pearls listeners. Today, we embark on a discussion at the intersection of Down syndrome and hydratinitis superativa from the patient perspective of a young woman who co-authored a recent publication. If my hydratinitis had a voice, this is what it would say. So without further ado, let's welcome your host and co-author, Morgan Dykeman. Morgan is a fourth-year medical student applying to dermatology residency, and she's the 2022-2024 PEDRA Fellow. Morgan's passion for pediatric dermatology was evident from the moment I first met her. Her ability to make those around her feel at ease and her always lead-with-empathy approach to all of her interactions, whether it be with friends, patients, or strangers, is a very rare gift. I'd like to turn it over to Morgan. Uh, thanks, Jen. Thanks for the great introduction. So today I'm joined by three amazing women who I'm excited for you all to meet. Alexis Sokolov, her mother, Gwen, and Dr. Jillian Rourke. I will let them all introduce themselves. Dr. Rourke, would you like to start? Oh, sure. Um, thank you so much, Morgan. Um, it's so nice to be on this uh, podcast with this crew of incredible women. Um, I'm a pediatric dermatologist and I work at Dartmouth um, in New Hampshire. I'm fortunate to um, be involved in the Down syndrome community, both having a clinic for children and adults with Down syndrome, um, but also involved in advocacy and research. So thanks for having me. Awesome, thanks for being here. Alexis? My name is Alexis. Thank you for having me. I'm in an Asher for the Worcester Red Sox and the game day staff at Mr. Whaler's with Mr. Whaler's hockey team. For fun, I like to listen to my music, watch sports, and kayak. Great. And Gwen? Hi, I'm Gwen Sokoloff. Um, I'm a nurse coordinator for a Down syndrome clinic in Massachusetts. And thank you for having us. And you are Alexis's mother as well, right? Oh, and Alexis's mom. <laughs> yes, most importantly. Awesome. Awesome. Now that we've got introductions covered, welcome everybody. I'm really excited to have you all here on this podcast. We are going to be discussing a recent perspectives article published in the British Journal of Dermatology back in April 2023. Titled, If My Hydradenitis Had a Voice. This is what it would say, the perspective of a young woman with Down syndrome and hydradenitis superativa. It is posted in the notes of this podcast and on our Instagram page. Dr. Rourke, why don't you share some background information about Down syndrome and hydradenitis superativa? Children and adults with Down syndrome have have many um, skin conditions, but I would say one of the most common um, that we see are follicular occlusion uh, skin conditions. And when you know, kind of put that in simpler terms, a lot of folliculitis and a lot of hydradenitis. I, I think um, of those of us who take care of people with Down syndrome, we've noticed this for a long time in the clinic, but we're fortunate now to have uh, more literature confirming what we've been seeing. Um, I think the largest study we have right now was published back in 2018 it was about 12,000 12, people with Down syndrome. We actually found that you know, 2% of them had hydradenitis, which was a lot higher than the control general population that was only 0.3. We see this a lot. We see this in young people. And I think, Alexis, you're going to touch on that, um, that hydradenitis tends to start earlier in people with Down syndrome, you know, school age, pre-adolescent. And so it's, it's something that 
is really affecting their life for a long period of time. I think there's there's been more advocacy thanks to Alexis about this, but also kind of more nationally, internationally, the literature is kind of so supportive of this that the U.S. Hydratinitis Foundation and actually the Canadian Hydratinitis Foundations have recommended now um, yearly screening of people with Down syndrome um, to look for this. So it should all really be um, on our radar. So interesting. And Dr. Rourke, I know you're also the co-lead of the Down syndrome subgroup within PEDRA. Could you tell us a little bit about what PEDRA is doing to improve our understanding of Down syndrome and hydradenitis? I mean, I think we're a new group whenever we you know, I kind of think when we have a new group, we have to define our problem first. So we're kind of at that phase right now. We've, we're just wrapping up a huge ICD-10 coding review, looking at the skin conditions of people with Down syndrome. And hey, guys, guess what's up at the top? Folliculitis and hydradenitis. I'm really excited about a study that the data submission is wrapping up right now, where we're looking at biologic use. So like Humira, JAK inhibitors, systemic medications that we're using for more complicated hydradenitis in people with Down syndrome. And uh, we just have no information about side effects with those meds. So that's going to be huge. And I, you know, all the data is not in yet, but I think we're going to probably have at least 60 people in that registry. So that's really exciting. And then, I mean, I could just go on and on about like future studies, but I think we're really, we're really starting with defining the problem hitting these big ticket questions of like, well, what are the treatment side effects for, for patients? And I would also say too, like, you know, and that's why we're having this podcast We're we're, we're trying to get more of the voice of people with down syndrome. I would say, and also their families, but, but really people with down syndrome to talk to people about this problem and, and see how much it is affecting their lives. So I think our group feels really strongly about that too. I know you and the other leader are always so thoughtful about incorporating, you know, what patients want addressed in research and kind of why we do what we do. So with that, Alexis, we would love to transition to talking to you. We know you are a very busy lady and this is not your first research project. So what do you do for work and what do you like to do for fun these days? Work, visit music, sports, and kayak. And then you also do some work at Boston University as well. Is that right? Yes. So in this perspective piece, you bravely share about your experience with hydradenitis. Can you share with us a little bit about your HS journey? When did it start? Who did you tell? My HS started when I was in middle school. I showed my mother the pimples. We need to to a dermatologist to try many different medicines, but it took a while. It's how we feel like medicine. Yeah, I know this trial and error process can be extremely frustrating. Gwen, what was your perspective on that as a parent? For us to find the correct provider, being a dermatologist, to actually treat this. Um, So being patient is a key for the parents, but also understanding how painful it is for the individual that has it. Um, we don't experience the pain, but they're, they can have an excruciating pain with it. Um, and some of the stigma as of, you know, being embarrassed with, um, depending on where the pimples are located and just understanding what they go through. It's so hard as a parent, I imagine, to watch, you know, the trial and error. And 
Dr. Rook, I know this experience of trialing medications isn't necessarily unique in Gwen and Alexis's story. So what's your perspective as a dermatologist and seeing this daily in clinic? I think it goes misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for a very long time. I think we see that in all of our patients. I hear that in almost every patient with Down syndrome, that it's it's told to be like staph infections or perhaps related to hygiene. And so I really like to dispel that myth and just put a name to like what they have. (laughs) I mean, the trial and error happens in my office too. You know, we try, you know, and I always say like, we're going to find that recipe that works, but sometimes it takes a long time. You know, I do think, and I think Um, Alexis and Gwen are going to touch on this, that for many patients, finding the right combination of a a wash and a cream, it can be very helpful. I find a lot of patients are actually pretty responsive to that. Oftentimes, we'll, we'll start with that rather than jump just to medications by mouth, especially because we have to be really thoughtful in all of our patients with chronic antibiotic use, but there's particular concerns in, in people with Down syndrome because of issues, you know, with their gut and with their belly. And also that they've a lot of the times been on a lot of antibiotics for recurrent ear infections, um, that we should be very mindful about just prescribing it, um, oral antibiotics. And how have, this is for Dr. Rourke or for you, Gwen, approaching the topic of hormonal options in our young women with Down syndrome, especially? We did go the hormonal route, um, but we waited until she was a little bit older, uh, like in high school. But, you know, it's a very sensitive subject with a lot of parents. Um, We chose it because we kept having the flare-ups and we were able to associate it happening prior to her menses. So it was easier to try to do this and see if the um, birth control worked and along with the washes and any creams that we had. In the long run, I think it's a great option, but that's my opinion only, um, because it worked for Alexis. Yeah, and I have to say, a lot of the times when we talk about treatment options with parents, we talk about going to a restaurant and looking at a menu. And like sometimes that special sounds really great, and other times it sounds horrible. So, you know, hormonal treatments are on the menu. And I think for some patients, they're the right fit, not only for their hydradenitis, but also, you know, if we're going to talk, so I should back up hormonal treatments, you know, for women or oral contraceptives or some form of contraception. And then also another oral treatment called spironolactone. Okay. For many women going on a form of birth control can hit multiple birds with one stone, you know, regulation of periods, decreased um, flow, you know, lighter periods, less cramping. So we'll often talk through that and see if there's multiple reasons why that's beneficial. But I do find it helpful for um, some of my patients with Down syndrome and hydradenitis. I would also say the same for spironolactone. And I prescribe that in, in, in women with Down syndrome, um, I would say for the clinicians and, and caregivers who are listening, I usually start out a lot slower um, because we know from studies that people with Down syndrome have baseline lower blood pressures. Um, there's some really nice literature about that um, from Dr. Santoro out of California. And so I pay attention to that. I usually start at a lower dose and we go up slower. 
But to be honest with you, a lot of the times people are very receptive to even low dose spironolactone. So I think both of those options um, are on the menu and should be just talked about, if not necessarily chosen. Alexis, when going through this trial and error process with your doctors, what do you think doctors should be specifically asking their patients with both Down syndrome and HS? How do you feel you have a flare-up? Do you know what causes my flare-up, like change of temperature? Yeah, and I know that was one of the big things you both noticed um, for your own experience, Alexis. Gwen, as a parent, what was your experience in observing these trends with HS? How did you track it? How did you identify them? And just in general, what advice do you have for other parents? The biggest thing is to find the trend. And if there is a trend, when they flare up. Um, we did a lot of journaling. So we knew that it came every three months. Um, it, you know, sometimes it came right before her period. Sometimes it was just with change in temperature. Um, we've lived multiple places. So heat, cold, it wouldn't matter if it was, um, you know, dead of winter, but, you know, it, it would just depend on the time it happened, basically. So journaling and really just understanding the triggers, I would advise parents, you know, if it's a change in temperature, like we've talked about, um, and then just trial and error with the treatments, um, creams, you know, it can get very expensive, um, trying this cream, trying that cream, trying this wash, but once you find it, it, it's a lifesaver. Really, it is. And then, you know, you might have to adjust it as they get older, especially once they get out of puberty, um, and then change the wash, change the cream, but you already know what works, um, and then maybe complementing that. Did you journal the treatments as well, or... Oh, I journal everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very detailed person, so yes. Um, and okay. you know, I was real hesitant. Um, at first we did a lot of oral antibiotics, um, till, um, we had the diagnosis and it took us about four years to really solidify the diagnosis with the treatment, which, you know, we, we did a ton of over the counter, um, remedies first with the oral antibiotics. And then we were able to move to creams with the, um, over the counter, but again, it can be very costly. But in the long run, um, by journaling, it really helped to narrow down what didn't work and what did work. Dr. Rourke, what's your biggest advice for patients and their parents and or caregivers? I mean, I, I would say like, know, know what this is, know what hydroadenitis superativa is. I think that there are a lot of medical conditions that potentially somebody with Down syndrome can have. And I think well, I mean, I'm biased on this, but I think sometimes the skin gets put on the shelf. Like, I can't tell you how often so many parents are like, I've never even heard of this before. So I'm, we're really, you know, Alexis, thank you. Like, thank you for getting information out there to the entire world, but the Down syndrome community and dermatology community, just letting people know that this exists. I would say ask to be screened early the um, recommendations for annual screening did not actually have an age, which I understand there's not a lot of data about that. But Dr. Holland and I, who's the co-leader of the um, PEDRA group, um, we, we have been telling people seven to eight years old, right? 
I mean, just this week, um, Morgan and I saw a five-year-old who I'm like, oh, we might be headed that way. Um, ask to, to see a, a skin provider, a dermatologist earlier on and try not to just seek medical care at an urgent care or emergency room for this. And this is no offense to those doctors and providers in that space, but sometimes you know, like we've been saying, it took Alexis, what, four years for your um, hydratinitis to be diagnosed, like it, you might be told that it's a bacteria infection. Yeah. And then I think lastly, you know, I think Morgan and I see this, there are a lot of dermatologists, like, very, very passionate about hydratinitis. And I would say also equally about taking care of adults and children with Down syndrome. We all kind of know each other. <laughs> So even if you don't live in the New England area, like we know people all over the country, like we want to help. And so we're, we're trying to be advocates too. So try to get plugged in and uh, into the community. Cause I think we're, we're out there and we want to, we want to help. So Alexis, you and I both know that Dr. Works, he's a ton of people with Down syndrome. She, she knows a lot about what to ask, what to do, but What's something you wish you could tell all doctors who take care of people with Down syndrome and HS? When I have flare-ups, it can be painful and embarrassing depending on where the bottles are located. In this article, you talk about how you're currently helping with a variety of research projects at Boston University. Can you share with us what you're working on? I am part of the S of Cinematics of Boston University, learning about research, practicing your skills, and deciding on your research topic, mental health. We designed a survey all about how many people with Down syndrome manage their mental health. We have another project, and it works too. Very cool. And this survey is being completed specifically by people with Down syndrome. Is that right? Yes. It's being completed by people with Down syndrome. We had about 20 or 30 respond. Wow. And you even got to help write some of the questions. Yes. As a group helped develop questions, it, it was fun. That's so awesome. Alexis, we're actually looking at the quality of life impacts that are caused in people with Down syndrome from their various skin conditions. And mental health is a big consideration. It, in people with HS, looks like we might have another collaboration. Working on these papers takes a ton of work. So our final question for you is, what makes you want to keep doing this work? I enjoy learning and understanding different topics, plus I like to meet new people. Well, I know I've certainly liked meeting you. Dr. Work. something that people are always curious about is if you see these same comorbidities in patients with Down syndrome and HS, the way you see comorbidities in patients with HS without Down syndrome. I know in HS literature, there's always the conversation about comorbidities at play. How, do, how does this apply to our patients with Down syndrome and HS? So I think that's a, that's a really uh, great question, Morgan, and a really important one. And I think uh, the answer is we, we don't know. The majority of cardiovascular concerns um, for people with Down syndrome historically have kind of been in the, at, at birth in the first few years of life, because as we know, clearly they are at risk for congenital heart disease. But the thought has 
been and and kind of research has suggested that perhaps as adults they are cardioprotected and we don't see hypertension or hyperlipidemia, myocardial infarction or stroke. Um, but we don't know if that is truly the case in people with inflammatory skin conditions like psoriasis and hydradenitis, um, where we do see those links. Uh, it's something that I talk about with my patients. It's something that we're actively pursuing funding for to research this more. I think for now, as we've summarized in um, some publications, and I know in our talks that we, we still encourage people to talk about this and, and really significant or, or really suggest screening for those conditions uh, until we find out more. Dr. Rourke, I just wanted to ask you a final question. You touched on kind of coming right to the dermatologist when you suspect HS, but just curious about what's being done to educate other physicians and providers outside of dermatology. I mean, I know at least at, at Dartmouth that it is something that we talk about with other pediatricians. Um, you know, I, I'm a little bit more peds biased because I'm a pediatric dermatologist, but we try to provide education about that. I think, you know, it's hard sometimes to have that like kind of big, big picture impact, but Alexis, like empowering you to talk about it with other people with Down syndrome, I, I think is huge. We have handouts now available about this that are really easy for people to access. So what I mean by that is the Society for Pediatric Dermatology has downloadable free handouts for every doctor, for every patient, for every caregiver online. Most of us in dermatology like use those handouts and distribute them to doctors and to patients. And we're, we have one already about Down syndrome and hydradenitis. And we're making, oh gosh, I don't know, I think 10 other ones about all the skin conditions that people with Down syndrome have. So I think that that's a great resource, collaborating with the other hydratinitis organizations throughout the country. I wonder, Gwen, I might ask you that question too, because of your really important role down at UMass at the Down Syndrome Center. Like how, how else have you guys tried to inform other doctors or um, patients, caregivers about this? I can only speak on the patient side. When we do a referral to dermatology, I tend to call the families and talk to them a little bit about the skin as far as what they're experiencing, what they've tried, who they've seen before, and why it's so important that a dermatologist actually sees them instead of just a regular provider. I don't go into all the diagnoses, but you know, we I do talk, you know, that folliculitis and HS are similar. And just because you have one doesn't mean you don't have the other. And a lot about the hygiene that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a hygiene issue. It's, you know, it's an autoimmune. So it's something that our kiddos can have. And I just go into basic education um, more as a parent. And most of the, our, my clients know that I have a child also with Down syndrome. So that actually gives me a little bit more credibility with them. So it's just more, you know, it's just because we're sending you to another provider doesn't mean that 
you know, there, you have to follow up every month, but you know, you have to have a routine with this provider, whether it's yearly or every three months, every six months, it just depends on what the diagnosis is and how the treatment works. Oh, that's great, Gwen. I think, you know, just one more thing to add that the American Academy of Pediatrics for, for decades now, I believe has had healthcare guidelines um, for taking care of infants and children's up to early adulthood um, and people with Down syndrome. And I'm so pumped to say that like the skin made it on the updated guidelines. So this is talked about, I think anybody, you know, taking care of someone with Down syndrome should be familiar with those guidelines. Um, the adult community now, like we're starting to write those and we're hoping to get the skin on those. So I think that um, that should hopefully be a nice resource. Fantastic. So there's all sorts of resources and places to go for our friends and colleagues across all different specialties. Well, I know I've greatly enjoyed working with you, Gwen and Alexis and Dr. Rourke on this project. Thank you so much, Alexis and Gwen, for coming on this podcast today. And I look forward to our future collaborations. Thanks, Morgan. And uh, thank you, Alexis, in particular, um, for joining us today and Gwen. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was our pleasure to be able to be part of this and help support you, Dr. Rourke and Morgan, with your, <clears throat> with your research. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you to Dr. Rourke and Morgan and Gwen and Alexis for contributing their time to this project, as well as many others in the future, we hope. To read the original article that was published, please follow the link in the show notes. If you have questions about this podcast or the work that Pedra is doing, you can email us at info at And don't forget to follow us on our social media channels at Pedra Research. Thanks so much.